as we've been going through this Advent, it's felt more important to me than ever to remind us and make sure that we as a church are confident in the fact that God is a God of abundance. When life can feel overwhelming and our resources can feel limited and time can feel limited, we need to be reminded that these limitations don't apply to God. He has all the resources at his disposal that we could ever need, and he knows in advance what we will need. And so therefore, we can rely on him and walk into unknown situations where we feel like we're not enough or don't have enough and know that God is enough. And so as we've gone through these uh, sermons, uh, we focused first on our time that uh, we need to be reminded and convinced and firmly believing that there is plenty of time for us to do all the things that God is calling us to do. Is there plenty of time to do everything in the world? No. But if God calls us to something, he's obviously going to provide us the time to be able to do that. He's not an unfair, unjust, cruel God. He says, this is what you need. I'll provide for you. And he'll stretch our time and reallocate our time, make time for us for the things that he knows we need to do. And the second conversation we had was just on the people around us. Sometimes it can feel like we're all alone. We're fighting our battles on our own. That there won't be enough people to help. That we, we won't have the community we need or the resource we need or the volunteers we need for whatever we're involved with. And um, in God, he brings community around us. He provides us with the right people at the right time. There are plenty of people to accomplish all that God wants to have accomplished. And so we find ourselves at this week with the ever-present question, will there be enough money for the things that need to be done? Now, is there enough money to do anything we want, whenever we want? No, but that's not better. That's not a goal we should be striving for. Uh, the question is, will there be enough for what we need when we need it? And so with this message this week, uh, the title is, is Plenty of Money. And how do you define that? What is plenty? For us, it's probably just like enough to feel safe and secure, enough in the bank perhaps, to say if bills come up that uh, we'll have enough when we need it. But with God, sometimes he requires more faith than that. He wants us to be reminded that there will be enough exactly when we need it. But he might wake up, make us wait till the last minute to be reminded that it's him who is our provider, not us. So the way I'm defining plenty of money, plenty is uh, God's abundance plus, plus perfect timing. Abundance plus timing. If we believe that God has every resource at his disposal and can provide for us, um, but wants to do it at the right timing to show his love for us and his deliverance, uh, then it's making sure we'll have enough when we need it. And this requires faith. To walk forward not having enough yet, but also not being at the moment we need it yet. But feeling confident that when we get to that perfect time, God's perfect love and his perfect abundance plus the perfect timing will result in us having exactly what we need. And so I, I was thinking about that and how often we feel like there isn't plenty of money. And, and when our heating costs go through the roof, we say that there's, there's not going to be enough money. What if there isn't enough money? And I want to remind us, there will be plenty of money for God to provide for us for practical things like heating our homes and being warm. He promises that. He'll meet our needs. There'll be plenty of money for us whose vehicles have broken down and look at the cost of vehicles and say, man, there's no way. How will, where will this money come from? There will be plenty of money for that because God knows our needs and he'll provide. And we're going to look at four different ways, four different funds where God stores up money so that just at the right moment he can provide from those funds that have been stored up. Uh, for those who are in their later years in retirement, will there be enough? 
There's plenty of money. God has plenty and he loves us. So there will be enough exactly when we need it for the things that we need it for. Uh, for parents that have kids in college and look at those exorbitant costs and say, will there be enough? God is a God of abundance. And we need to trust that he will provide for what we need when we need it. For those young couples that are starting lives together, will there be enough for homes for them, for jobs for them, if they start a family for their children? These are unknown questions, but our faith demands that we believe in God's sufficiency and demands that we say, well, God can do anything and he knows our needs and he loves us. Those are all truths. So therefore, when I have this need, even if it's at the 11th hour, uh, God will know that and he'll provide for all our needs. And that confidence walking through the unknown time until the 11th hour should carry us. We should not look like the world looks with no faith, saying, I don't know if there'll be enough, living lives of worry. Uh, we shouldn't be like the world living lives of waste because if God is giving us enough money for the things we need and we waste it on lots of other things, then he may say, I did give you enough. Where has it gone? And we shouldn't live lives waiting for things to happen to us, but live lives actively uh, using our energy, as we'll see that's one of the funds, using the resource God has given us, you know, being active and proactive stewards, good managers of things, as well as just faithful people believing in miraculous power of God to multiply the things that he's already given us. So I don't know if you feel like there's plenty of money in your life, but I want you and me to firmly believe that there's plenty of money in God's hands. And, and scripture gives us four separate places where he kind of reserves funds. And we should pray about what our role is in contributing to those funds. We should have faith that in a moment of need, God can draw from those funds to provide for us. So let's look at four scriptures that can point those out and think about what they mean to us as a church family, what they mean to us in our individual families. Think about what they mean for the people around us. Again, if God is a God of plenty, a God of abundance, and there's plenty of money for all the things that he's calling us to, uh, that's not just supposed to be a security blanket. Oh, there's plenty of money for me. That means there'll be plenty of money for the people around us, and sometimes we're called to invest for their benefit as well. And that's the good news of the gospel. God invested in us through becoming flesh, through Christ, through the incarnation. And so this has many layers to it. There's plenty, but at many layers for in many ways, and God is the source of it all. So the first fund that we can recognize in scripture, I'm calling the work fund. And the work fund means that in us, in our bodies, we have a latent ability to make money, to work, to create funds. And even if we're incapacitated in some way, I had a broken foot a couple of months ago, if we're limited, if we have disabilities, um, if we have any sort of limitations age-wise, young, old, uh, any sort of things, uh, there are ways that God can use us with the gifts we have to contribute to our families, to our community, to society, and work. And so it can take a lot of creativity sometimes to find that out, and there are sometimes limited opportunities. Uh, but God gives us an ability to work, and if we're just looking for funds to come to us from outside, we might miss the important first fund that God's given us our time, our energy, our bodies, our gifts to invest, and that is a way that we can be funded. You know, your future funds may be in you. You're wondering where they're going to come from. They may need to come from you. And are you willing to invest that labor? So in Genesis chapter 29, starting in verse uh, 14, we see a great example of the labor fund. Uh, to set the stage, 
this is Jacob going to live with Laban. He meets uh, Rachel, Laban's daughter, and falls in love and is willing to work with her, work for her hand in marriage for seven years. And we see that it continues even for another seven. And if you'd ask, Jacob, where's the money going to come from for this bride, for this marriage, for this future? Uh, in his case, it came from the sweat of his brow, from the work of his hands. That, that fund was latent within his ability. And he, he did it with his whole heart out of love. And that's the first fund I think God gives us before he supplements it with all these other surrounding funds. So this is a great example we could learn from. There's lots of things in this that are not great examples to learn from. You'll see them as we go through them as well. But um, recognize what this labor of love looked like. Genesis 29:14. After Jacob had stayed with Laban for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of, of the younger was Rachel. Now Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to lie with her. And so Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her, and Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, and then we will give the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the marriage week with Leah, and Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to it be to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked late for Laban another seven years. Uh, there's a great principle in scripture and how we read it that a lot of times when histories are being recorded, this isn't a command, this isn't the Ten Commandments, this isn't Jesus saying, you know, blessed are those. Those are statements from God. This is just a historical record of things that happen. Uh, we're often, um, I often encourage you to read these as descriptive rather than prescriptive. It's just a simple way to say history here describes what happened. It isn't necessarily supposed to prescribe what is supposed to happen. So I think if we read through this passage, we can see a lot of things that probably aren't what's supposed to happen. We see daughters being treated as possessions and sold off. You see husbands loving uh, one wife over the other and favoring one over the other. You see people being deceived and tricked. Uh, you have a lot of things happening here um, that are not meant to be prescriptive and say, oh, we're to live this way. It's a description of what happened and we're intended to, with the Holy Spirit's guidance, read it and say, well, what should we take from this? What were the good things? What were not the good things? And so in all the things that we would not want to replicate in this passage, I would love for us to be willing to have a labor of love for 17 years for someone's hand in marriage for 14 years for someone's hand in marriage. I would love for us to commit ourselves to the things that we want and that we care about with our whole hearts. Be willing to invest, not just saying, who's going to? Well, we, we'll give everything we have. 
And then beyond that, we'll trust God will provide the rest. You know, this is definitely happening for us in the center, right? Where we're there scraping floors and framing walls. We're doing what we can. We're investing all of our skills to the best of our ability. And if God told me, give 14 years for this center to become a reality and that's where the fun will come from, then praise God. Let's do it. 14 years. Let's work hard and enjoy it. It's out of love. What a gift. When I think of our family, like what I give 14 years, I'll give 40 years, I'll give 400 years for my family. I hope you feel the same way. And sometimes we're looking for outside sources to fund the solutions in our lives, and it needs to start with us. And may it be a labor of love. You know, what's a labor of love in our family? The grinding it out day by day is doing dishes, it's cleaning, it's laundry, it's uh, helping with homework, it's giving children rides to places, it's forgiving again and again, it's showing grace for those annoying habits of the people that we live with, it's um, you know working for paycheck after paycheck when one disappears and you got to go get the next one to keep providing. There are many things that are a labor of love. And that's a beautiful thing. God's given us the ability to work. And that's a very Christian value, to work the, the sweat of our brow and the labor of our hands. God himself is a creator God, and he's called us to be workers. He's given us hands and feet to use. So as you're considering the plenty that's out there, consider what resource you are yourself. What gifts do you specifically have? Do I have? Well, we're meant to contribute those. Those are part of the answer in our lives for how we'll get from where we are to where God is calling us to be. It happens in our church family. It's happening with the center right now. It happens in our homes. And think about that with our neighbors. You know, it may be easier to just give a gift and put a couple of dollars in a card, and that's a gift to a neighbor maybe you know is needing something. But what about just making a meal, the labor of our hands? Instead of, you know, hiring someone to go do something for someone, what about doing it for them ourselves? You know, that gift, the mowing the lawn, the shoveling the snow, that gift comes with our face on it. It comes in the form of us. And if we're representing God, God gets the glory. One of his children stepped out and did something. So before we get to like monetary funds, recognize that we can exchange our labor for value. And it has value. We do that with our jobs. And the gift that we can give to those around us of ourselves is a priceless one. It's a unique one. It's, it's irreplaceable. And it's beautiful. I encourage you to give the gift of a labor of love to the people around you. And especially to those who don't know God so that they may say, Oh, God's people give of themselves. Not just give of money or of extras, but of themselves. That's a beautiful gift. And it's a fund that God has stored up. So if we want to expand that, we recognize we're in a community. The second fund is that, but times all the people in your life that you're connected to. So times the church, it's all the individuals, the church family collectively make a community fund. The people in your family, your relatives, are a community fund made of individuals with all of their resources as well. And a great example of this is in Exodus uh, chapter 36. Moses is... Um, asking the whole tribes, all the tribes of Israel, to give towards the work of building the tabernacles. They want to build a beautiful space to worship the Lord in. And he says, please bring yarn and silks and thread and, and gold and silver and uh, priceless gems. And so the community fund is made up of everyone having something of value and contributing. And so a little bit from a lot of people becomes a whole lot. And so this community fund is available for us. You know, where will our future monies come from, our future funds? They may not just come from us. I, in fact, I guarantee they will not just come from us. 
you know, our future uh, cars and homes and food and vacations and gifts may in some part be supplemented from the people who love us. Oh, I need a little bit of money. There's this great deal on a, a house or on a car or some big thing. And a relative says, sure, I can loan you that. You know, a parent, a grandparent, a sibling, or a friend. I hope we're earnest in always repaying those debts because they were given in love and so then are an honor, something to be honored and repaid in kind. Um, but that's a beautiful thing to feel like what we need may be supported and supplied by those who love us. So in this situation, actually what comes in from the community is too much. And Moses has to say, stop. So as things are being built here, we, we can see the individual gifts, the labor of love, with two people, Bezalel and Oholiab. They're the ones working, but they just supplied the skill and the labor fund. The whole community fund supplied all the goods and materials that they worked with. And let's see how the community supplied work for God's tabernacle. Uh, Exodus 36.1 So Bezalel, Oholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary uh, are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. This is Moses setting down the instructions. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp, no man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. And this is how it feels when sometimes our friends and families come around us on a birthday or on a, a Christmas or, or as gifts for a bridal shower or, you know, housewarming gifts for a first home. Like people come around us and bless us above and beyond what we expected and even sometimes beyond what we needed and we just feel that love. So there's a labor of love, but there's gifts of love and tangible gifts can, can mean the world. And when a little bit comes from a lot of sources, that's a large fund. You know, there's plenty of money. All of our future money will not be in our accounts alone. Some of our future funds are in our friends' and family's bank accounts and pockets and wallets. And if we keep going to one person all the time, the one person we always ask for help, the one person we always ask for money, that wears out our welcome really quickly. But when we have a large community, we know we're supported by many people, and there's lots of people willing to help. And that's um, that's a beautiful thing. And we see that here in the tabernacle. I know we're seeing that as a church with the center. We're all giving a little and some are giving a little bit here, a little bit there. But together, our community is giving a lot. But then beyond that, we're getting gifts from other members of the local community and from extended friends and family and from people in social media that are seeing the center and wanting to support this cause. And so that community fund is going to be part of our answer in the future for where Will the world be plenty of money? Well, yes, because God is calling us to this. Where will that come from? Well, it'll come from our labor, but it'll also come from this community, this larger community fund. I think about your families. There is plenty of money to meet your needs, but it might not be all yours. Are we willing to be humble and ask when it's time to ask? Are we willing to be humble and receive gifts when it's time to receive? It's hard to do. It's way easier to give than it is to receive. So in this community fund, the humility is required. Gratitude and thankfulness after that gift is required. 
Um, but it's a beautiful confidence. And many people uh, want to sort of isolate and take care of ourselves and do it our own way. And then you lack the confidence that community gives. So in the end, the more isolated you remain, the more you are left to your own limited funds and labor. But the more willing we are to connect our lives with others and live in community, the more labor and hands there are to help, the more funds there are to help. And so the more secure we are, the more involved we are in community and the more isolated we are, the more insecure we become. We're not meant to live alone. And so both in generosity and in gratitude, uh, community is such a blessing. So the work fund and the community fund. Now this moves us on to the world fund, as I'm calling it. And we find this in Ezra and Nehemiah. And we'll just read some quick excerpts from those two uh, books. In Ezra 1, we see the Israelites now returning, but they were all sojourners. They were aliens. They were cast-offs in other countries and uh, nations around Jerusalem. They're trying to return. They don't have the funds to rebuild the entire temple with all of its gold inlaid, beautifully made for the Lord, for worship, and to honor him. They didn't have the money to rebuild all these walls, so where is it going to come from? So God, in this case, says, well, I'm going to draw from the treasuries of the mightiest nations of the world at that time, to bless you. And so Ezra is in a unique position to be blessed by the king and kings that he served with. And then Nehemiah later is in the unique position by God to be blessed by the king. So these kings emptied their treasuries and their nations, these worldly nations, to fund God's work. God is able to do this. You know, we say God is a God of, uh, has a, a cattle on a thousand hills. I'll quote Psalm 50 when we say that. Um, but that doesn't mean that God's out there shepherding cattle. These cattle are all owned currently by other people. But when God says it's time for you to have the cattle that you need, he draws from them. And sometimes I believe these un, uh, unbelieving nations and governments whatever, don't even know why they're doing it. It just seems like a good idea because that's God directing them. God can guide the minds and courses of kings and kingdoms for his people's benefit. And so that's what we see here. And so if we say, is there plenty of money out there in the world? Well, there's certainly plenty of money in the world. The question is, are we following God's plan so that he can draw from that world fund to direct things for his children at any time? Well, he can. And we see a great example of that here. So in Ezra chapter 1, uh, Cyrus receives a leading from the Lord. Like, just this is not a Jewish person, not someone raised in um, God's ways, but God speaks to him and directs him, and we see it's for God's purposes. It's very interesting how God can do this with kings. So, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it into writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may his God be with him, uh, and let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, they prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And all their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the freewill offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, 
the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. So Cyrus is moved by God to say, we're doing this. And he allows and permits and even commands the Israelites to regather and start building the temple for worship. He says, we're making this happen. And then he says to all the neighbors around them, give them money, give them your valuables so they can go do it. And then he goes into his treasury and pulls out articles and restores them to the Lord and gives even more. So how is this going to happen? There's plenty of money for God's temple. Where's it going to come from? There's this world fund made up of the mightiest nations in the world that God can draw from at any time. So it doesn't just stop there. If we flip over to chapter 7, we see that it continues. So now after these things, Ezra 7 verse 1, after these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, next king, same God, same mission. Ezra, son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zariah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. So there's the lineage. These lineages are important. Ezra is of Aaron's line. God is restoring the priestly line. This Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. So here's a kind of a, a backtrack to last week's message. There are plenty of people. We needed a priest, a real priest, trained in the law. The Israelites needed this. Well, here's Ezra. He's ready, and he'll be called on at just the right moment to meet that need. And not only will he come, he will be funded by the king. So if we fast forward to verse 12 of chapter 7, the king of kings, Artaxerxes, says, To Ezra the priest, a teacher of the law of God of heaven, I decree that any of the Israelites in my kingdom, including priests and Levites, you wish may go to Jerusalem with you, that they may go. You are sent by the king and his seven advisors to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Moreover, you are to take with you the silver and gold that the king and his advisors have freely given to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. Together with all the silver and gold you may obtain from the province of Babylon, as well as the freewill offerings of the people and the priests for the temple of their God in Jerusalem. With this money be sure to buy bulls and rams and male lambs, together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, and sacrifice them on the altar of the temple of your God in Jerusalem." So the temple's being completed and now sacrifices may resume and another king is being uh, led by God to fund God's work. And he's not leading a godly kingdom. This is Persia. And now we fast forward to the next chapter or the next book. We have Nehemiah. It wasn't just the temple that was needed. God knew all that was needed. The walls were also needed. So just very quickly to fill out this kind of world fund in this season of Israel's life and all these places that it came from. We look at Nehemiah chapter 2. Uh, we know that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king and he presents a request, may I go back and rebuild the walls that's been broken down in Jerusalem. So chapter 2 verse 4, the king said to me, what is it that you want? Nehemiah said, then I prayed to God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. And I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the city by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy? 
And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. So the king here provides the timber for the walls and safe passage through foreign lands and army and military protection along the way. With us in our church right now, we're seeing this. We have this huge grant fund that's been given to us by the state of Massachusetts. The state of Massachusetts at best is apolitical or a-religious, I should say, uh, at worst anti-religious. And so wherever your standing is and how you feel about the relationship between church and state in our Massachusetts state here, um, you've got to recognize that they're not in the business of funding churches to just do whatever God calls us to do. And yet we have these thousands of dollars that the state is using to fund. And guess what? As we talk to the grant committee, the person in charge of it is a believer. So this believer who is just doing what the state allows her to do and is funding it, she wasn't even in charge of the fund at the beginning, but has now stepped into charge of it. So it was given by someone who I don't know where their faith stood, but now is being supervised by a believer. And we can talk about what God's doing. And this person is so uh, grateful that these state funds are going to accomplish God's work and other grants are coming in and other resources how will there be plenty of money for this renovating of this old space yes and where will it come from well part of it will come from this world fund where people who are not trying to serve God just feel like you know this is a good idea we should make this happen when the mayor's office and when these other departments say we like this idea we want this to happen we just say thank you God that's just of you but there is a, a mighty fund out there by the, night, the, by the mightiest and biggest nations in the world um, that God can draw from at any time. He did it for Israel. He's doing it for us in our church. I'm sure you've seen this in your family where there was a certain rebate or discount or money came back from something or a check arrived at just the right time or you found yourself eligible for some sort of um, something that you didn't think you were. And you say, well, thank you, God. You, you led that government agency, that mortgage company, that college to bring that gift, that discount, that those funds at just the right time. I'm not going to praise Comcast or Massachusetts or Bentley College. I'm going to praise God for that gift at just that time. He drew from the world fund and he knew what we needed because he loves us. So this world fund is a very real one. God's used it at all times. He can bring funds in from there. should give us hope that if we're following his will, that the funds will be there. He's not limited in any way. He's a God of abundance. So the last one is in Matthew 17. And this is quite a simple one. Um, and it's a short one, but I think it makes the point well as we kind of tie all these thoughts together. Uh, Matthew 17, verse 24. Uh, and this one I'm calling the miracle fund. It's just a straight-up miracle. Sometimes there's no one we can even give credit to because money just miraculously appeared. We can't thank the government because it didn't come from them. We didn't earn it. We didn't put our own hands into it, so it's not of us. It didn't come from family or friends. No thank you card can be sent to express our gratitude. It's just money showed up. Um, this is like Elijah in the Old Testament where the oil just never ran out. There's no one to thank for pouring in more oil. It just never ran out. Maybe you've experienced this in your bank accounts where it should have run out or gone uh, you know, below zero that month and somehow it just didn't. And who do you thank for that? Well, you just thank God because sometimes he's just looking to get the credit by doing a mighty deed. So this particular story is a brief one. It's a small one. And it just shows that God isn't bound by the rules. He provides what's needed when it's needed. 
Matthew 17:24. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? he asked. From whom do the kings of earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? Well, from others, Peter answered. The sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. So he's making a point about ownership and sonship and the kingdom, and, and he's using this tax as an example. But he's also being faithful in, as a citizen of that uh, country, that nation, uh, under Roman rule. Uh, Jesus said to them, But so that we may not offend them, the, the, the rulers of this world, Go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. So literally just go catch a fish, open its mouth, and then take that money from the fish. So who are you going to thank for that? You're not going to thank the government. You're not going to thank your hard work. You're going to thank God. You're going to thank Jesus, uh, who just miraculously provides. So if we've got a God that can just do a miraculous things, an entire world whose resources are at God's disposal for when he needs it, if we have this community that we're connected to where we love and support one another, and if we live lives of loving labor, then really thinking that there's plenty of money for what God wants to do exactly when he wants to do it is not hard to believe. But it will change how we live, because if we live believing that, seeing these funds as for us and as what we're investing in, then we'll, um, we'll live hopeful lives instead of worried and anxious lives. It'll be easier for us not to be afraid of that bill that we don't know how it's going to get paid, but to live in faith wondering, God, how are you going to do this? The miraculous fund will come into play for us at the center. The miraculous fund, I'm sure it already has, and it has come into play for us as a family. The miraculous fund will happen for your neighbors, for the people around you. Encourage them to be looking for miracles, not just practical, tangible, logical, uh, reproducible efforts of man. But as we said at the very beginning, I'll tie this at the end, this shouldn't just give us a sense of satisfaction. Wow, thank you, God, that all these funds are here for my disposal, my support. They're for others and for those around us. So be praying for miracles in the lives of the people around us. Be part of the community fund for the people that you know and love, uh, for those that don't love the Lord as well as those that do. Be praying for the world fund to have access uh, by those who need it. You know, the World Fund is not always a fair fund, and it's not always easy for those who are in need to get access to the funds they need. So maybe you could be a bridge to that. I know there's been times in our church family where I've seen some who have knowledge about certain government programs or certain resources come into contact with a new friend or a family member or just a stranger and say, oh, I know about this thing you might be able to apply for and help them with that process. We become the bridge for, for World Funds to reach the hands that they really need. Never mind us just saying, oh, we also can help. And maybe being that bridge is part of the labor fund. Like, really, we need to live lives uh, believing in God's abundance, not fearful of scarcity. And money is one of those great testers of our faith. God may very well make us wait to the last minute many times in our lives just to prove his provision, his abundance, his goodness. May we live lives this Christmas uh, not worrying there will be enough for us to be generous and give gifts. There'll be plenty of money for the people that God wants us to give gifts to. May we not be people worried this season about heating prices and, and those things. God will provide for us, for our needs. He promises that's explicitly laid out in Scripture. 
May we be generous this Advent season. May we be optimistic and hope-filled. May we be at peace, even if the answers haven't come yet, because we know that God can and will provide. Praise God for being a God of abundance this Advent season.